Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Hang Out in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I'm your host, Josh Dooley, and with me, as always, riding shotgun is Chuck Holmes. It's great to be back for another work, uh, another week, sorry, and it's great to be walking, talking about the NFL draft. So, you know, no beating around the bush here. That's what this week's pod will focus on. Over the weekend, six former Buckeyes taken across the entirety of the weekend. Uh, we will obviously hit on that. But then we're also going to talk about draft in general. Chuck and I are big draft junkies. So what we saw, what we liked, what we disliked, what we found interesting. We may even get into some Bengals talk. So be prepared for that. Uh, Chuck has some hot takes. I've got some hotter ones. So this should be a fun episode. Chuck, what's good, my brother? How are we feeling after a glorious draft weekend? Been a long weekend of watching the TV, sitting in front of it. I've drank 700 Red Bulls to get through it. I think I got another hour, hour and a half in me before I collapse for the weekend. Yeah, it is. It's a haul, man. Like starting with Thursday night, you know, full disclosure, I work very early in the morning. And Chuck gets up pretty early, too. He's got kids. I've got a daughter. But, you know, I'm up at like 536 in the morning most days. And so... Thursday night, waiting for my Bengals to pick at number 28. I mean, I think it was 11.30 at night. Uh, then you've got four or five hours. Friday, I think, actually went pretty quickly. And then Saturday is just a full day of being useless and, and looking for the last remnants of guys that you remember from the Big Ten. Or, oh, hey, there's a Buckeye. But still, one of my probably funnest sports weekends of the entire year, and we talked about that a little bit last week. Chuck, what did you think of the festivities in Kansas City? You know, the draft's a little bit different every year. I thought the one in Vegas last year was eh, pretty hokey, but, you know, I think Kansas City kind of nailed it. City had a good vibe. The presentation itself was solid, other than when Dude Perfect showed up to announce a pick uh, and some of the hokey stuff they have. But what did you think of just, like, the atmosphere in the draft in itself for the weekend? I like the idea I, I don't like the crazy uh, fans that are there and, and all the video shots of them. The, those they, they have to be paid actors. There's no oh, it's way that every that. fan base sends a dozen people dressed up to Kansas City, Missouri, or Kansas, or I think it straddles, right? And then on, on Friday night, Mike Greenberg mentioned on the ESPN broadcast that there was 125,000 people there on Thursday night. 
Which, okay, I can get. Then they showed the wide pan of the crowd there Friday when it was raining. And he's like, yeah, there's at least as many people here today. And there weren't 15,000 people there. It was just the the part right in front of the stage. And then when there were about uh, 500 people in the lawn behind it, that was it. Like there was not anywhere close to what they said. That part of it is it's like, guys, there's nothing. You're not winning any awards by like lying about it. I do love the idea that they they bring it to a, a, a an area. I know they can't do this part because logistically it's too uh, too much to turn around in like a three month span or two and a half month span. But coincidentally, it being in Kansas City, like that was cool that the Chiefs got to host it after winning the Super Bowl. I know they can't do that every year, uh, but to me, if you're gonna travel it around you better at least have a a good party vibe nashville obviously was really cool vegas is is a no-brainer uh cleveland was was fun because of the passion about the 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 team i don't know how much you're going to enjoy a draft in tampa bay or how (laughs) much you're going to (laughs) enjoy i mean or enjoy a draft in denver in april when it's still snowing but the idea is cool Let's just not lie about the numbers. Yeah, I mean, there were definitely some things that were as as well as I as much as I did like it. There were things that were off about it. <clears throat> the fans you mentioned, Motley Crew, holy goodness, um, a bunch of seven year olds up there. Like, I think they cut <laughs> to them on Saturday, and I was like, oh my gosh! And it was like pre recorded from the night before because they couldn't talk about a third guard from North Dakota State. They were just like. You know, give me Tommy Lee and the boys, but that was awful. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I mean, the, the vibe was still cool, and I really do like that event. So um, maybe we'll get one in Cincinnati or hell, bring it to Columbus. Just put it in the shoe. I know we don't have a professional team here, but uh, you know, there's nothing ruling us out. I'd say it'd be a lot of fun here, but obviously, that's a bit of a pipe dream to say the least. But let's just jump into this here, Chuck. I think. Let's get into some general draft stuff later and appeal to our fan base here, to Land Grant's fan base here, and start with some Buckeye talk. What do you think? How's that sound? I'm in. I got my notes ready, and uh, I'm, I'm going to prove you wrong on at least two, maybe three. I don't know. Maybe four takes. We'll see how, how, how crazy I feel like it. You always want to make it competitive, man, but it's just, it's just a couple of guys talking some ball, talking some Ohio State, so... Just a quick rundown of where former Ohio State players were taken real quick, and then we'll get into, we'll revisit some of our predictions and then talk about where each guy landed and discuss fit and things like that. So up first, obviously, C.J. Stroud went number two to the Houston Texans. Smokescreen, silly season, call it whatever you want to call it. A lot of noise surrounding that pick. Sanity prevails. C.J. Stroud goes number two. Uh, Paris Johnson Jr., there were rumors that the Arizona Cardinals were really sort of enamored with him and considered him at three. They traded around uh, quite a bit, actually. I think two trades to go back to 12, up to six. He ends up in the desert, number six to the Arizona Cardinals. Jackson Smith and Jigba, number 20 overall to the Seahawks, which was you know a little bit further than I expected him to slide. But you know, all in all, 
not playing almost for an entire year, I think that's a good result for him. We'll talk about the fit because I know you and I texted back and forth about that one a little bit. Then definitely a bit of a lull for the Buckeyes. Uh, No one in the second round. Zach Harrison was the next Buckeye taken. Round three, pick number 75. Overall, the defensive end was taken by the Atlanta Falcons. And then you want to talk about some guys falling. And I think we'll have some interesting conversation on this later. Dewan Jones, once projected to be, you know, a, a late first rounder, potentially, fell all the way to round four. Uh, the Cleveland Browns picked him up with pick number 111. That'll become a theme. Luke Whipler all the way to the sixth round um you know a bummer for him really a guy who came out early pick 190 overall to the browns and so there's your six uh, a bit of a lighter class for the buckeyes this year but you know outside of maybe where they went i don't see a lot of surprises chuck before we jump in individually and, and look at each guy here Let's look at the back half. What did you think of some of these guys falling as far as they did? You know, I I think the biggest part of this is it kind of shows that the NFL teams and what people are watching that aren't playing or aren't working for these NFL teams are seeing is completely different, right? The obviously nobody felt comfortable taking Dewan Jones until the fourth round. Yet we saw how many mock drafts with him in the first, early second. I even said, based on seeing that, I thought he was going to be an early second guy. We talked about the Bengals trading up for him. The Bengals passed him up three times, and and there really wasn't um, anything to it. The same thing w- with Luke Whipler. You know, there was talk that he was the second or third or fourth highest uh, center in this draft, and obviously that wasn't the case. And it's it's unfortunate that. Uh, in his case, that he didn't get, um, he, it sounds like he probably got some bad advice on where he was going to land in the draft. But it just goes to show that everything we hear is just crap until the draft, actually, until that first team is on the clock. Everything we hear is just absolute garbage. It really is. I mean, it starts at the top with CJ Stroud. We might as well jump in there here in a second. But, you know, Mid-March rolls around, or maybe it was late March, the Carolina Panthers traded an absolute haul to move up to the number one spot. They traded with the Chicago Bears and immediately became, hey, C.J. Stroud's the favorite. They love this guy. I know you probably saw the highlights of the Ohio State Pro Day. Like They're all hugging on C.J. Stroud. Josh McCown's talking about meeting him in Carolina or something like that. Um, But then as the process went on you know it became cj stroud scored terribly on this test he skipped out on the manning camp he might not be coachable this that and the other and that right there that goes to show you yes that it's all it's all crap it's all bs but there are a lot of like individuals in the media that they just sort of go out and they say this stuff they have an agenda you know it's a selfish agenda on on their behalf because like Mike Lombardi was a guy that I heard he went on he went on Vsin which is like it's a gambling sports network and I you know I'll check it out every once in a while but it, it's not hard hitting insider news and he goes oh, I I hear CJ Stroud's not very coachable I've heard guys don't like him 
Well, it, that's because you're working on a lesser network. You're a former GM. You want to get your name out there. You want to just create some buzz so people maybe check out your show, check out your podcast, whatever. You know, I don't know him from a hole in the ground, but I do know that what he had to say came across poorly, uh, you know, as a reflection across CJ Stroud. And then clearly just turned out to not be very accurate because he did go number two. But uh, enough of that. Let's get into the fit and all this good stuff. So CJ Stroud, number two overall to the Houston Texans. I, I brought up our scenarios from last week, Chuck. I had Seattle as my dream scenario. I predicted that he would go number four to Indianapolis. My nightmare was Houston at number two. So I feel like I need to jump in here and defend it a little bit. So let's talk about CJ. I had Houston as my nightmare destination, but at the same time, I'm glad he did not fall due to the absurdity of draft season. He was QB1 or QB2. The Texans desperately needed a quarterback, and sanity prevailed. Would you agree? Well, of course, because this is what I predicted was going to happen. I knew all along my insiders had told me that this was a smokescreen from the from the beginning. Yeah, the the funny part about this is, is everybody said that just out of nowhere, right? It just completely shut off out of like thin air. All of a sudden they're like, oh, they're not in on a quarterback. And that just screams that there's like a, a smokescreen there, right? And if they're out on quarterbacks, what does that do for people calling up? If they're locked in and they say, we're taking a quarterback no matter what, teams aren't going to try to take that pick because they're not going to trade out of it, right? If you find a quarterback you like, you are not trading out of your spot. So to me, that was just them telling everybody, yes, we want you to talk to us just in case we find something. In, in reality, I'm guessing they wanted to see if Indianapolis would jump up and they could take go to four and still end up with C.J. Stroud or three, whatever it may be. The other part and and the second part of their draft night on round one might have been the other part of it. They were soliciting offers for that deal in an effort to see what it would cost for them to get back up to three. They can say, hey, we got they probably went to the Cardinals and said we got offered this, this, this and this. This is what we'll offer you for three. And it kind of just set the baseline for them and enabled them to make that other deal. Now, that other deal, I think personally, completely screwed CJ. I think it went from, I, I think that deal turned this into a potential nightmare scenario because they don't, they gave up so many assets in the draft world that you can't replace all, like, the team's bad. And yes, I, I think Will Anderson's going to be really good. But you, when you give up an opportunity to draft three other highly rated players over the next two drafts, one of which probably needed to be a receiver because nobody, they're not going to go pay $35 million for a free agent receiver. You get your receivers in the draft. They're kind of like quarterbacks, right? You either really overpay for them or you go get them in the draft. Well, now they don't have the draft stock to do it, to draft it or trade for one. So to me, it kind of screwed him. And what you said kind of is, is playing out in my mind because it's going to be tough for them to build a competent offense around him 
when they don't have these high picks. Yeah, I, I'm not going to give them credit that this, this was their plan all along, but I think you're absolutely spot on that they had conversations and then in the back of their mind, they're thinking, hey, we might be able to get back up to number three, like as part of those conversations. So I think they sort of fell into it, fell in love with that idea and then executed it. But yeah, they gave up a lot to move up and get Will Anderson. I'm with you. I think he's going to be really, really good. I think he was probably the safest pick in this draft, even if he's not Von Miller. He's that sort of guy, that sort of player and a, a high character guy, but this isn't a Bama centric podcast. You're right. And the thing about what they gave up is they gave up that first round pick next year, but they gave up their own Chuck. They have the Browns pick and look, you and I, we, we hate the Browns. Let's just throw it out there. But the Browns are probably going to be better than the Texans, which means they're going to pick lower in the first round next year. But the Texans gave up their own. So they gave up a ton of capital to get both of these guys. <clears throat> as far as what C.J. Stroud has around him, I, I hate the weapons and the skill guys around C.J. Stroud. I, I honestly do. But I will say this. The offensive line is anchored by Laramie Tunsil, one of the best left tackles in the game. They've got Titus Howard at right tackle. Good ball player. Um, and, and I don't know what else they have along that line, but I think they can protect him a little bit. They've got Damian Pierce as a running back. They just drafted Juice Scruggs second round. Yeah, was, that's right, right. People all up in Ohio State uh, Twitter was up in arms that Luke Whipler wasn't the pick, being the C.J. Stroud was uh, was the the first pick. But obviously, they showed with a four round difference that everybody didn't believe that Whipler was as good as Scruggs. Well, I mean, I don't know if I believe in Scruggs, but it is what it is. They at least invested in a rookie center. On the, uh, to go with the rest of the guys on that offensive line. They've got Damian Pierce at running back. Dalton Schultz, they signed as a solid tight end. And they've got John Mechie, who they drafted last year. And we can't forget about him. I, uh, you know, Unfortunately, he was diagnosed with, I think it was leukemia. Um, uh, yeah, I'm like 90% sure that's what it was. But fortunately, you know, good for him. It seems like he is much healthier and could or should be ready to go by the beginning of the season for those guys. So... Big ups to him, first of all, but, you know, he was a really good ball player at Alabama before he was sort of, I, I don't want to say he was overtaken by Jamison Williams. They operated it as quite the duo there in Tuscaloosa. So, uh, you know, I, I don't like Nico Collins and Noah Brown as some of his, you know, better options because that's, that's air quotes for me. I don't think they are better options, but... They've got some guys around him. It's not the worst skill position you've ever seen a rookie quarterback in. But the other thing that I really like is that, yes, Houston gave up a lot to get Will Anderson, but a rookie quarterback's best friend is a good defense. And I think they at least have an improved defense. They've got D'Amico Ryans now as their new head coach. He was the defensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers. You know, really great defensive mind. They also, uh, they added Jimmy Ward also from the 49ers last year in free agency. They drafted Derek Stingley and Jalen Petrie in last year's draft. So, you know, I, I don't know what their rankings were defensively last year, but they've got some guys now on that side of the ball. And so if they can sort of improve their level of play, I think that, 
like I said, that helps protect CJ Stroud in a sense because hopefully it's, you know, they're causing some turnovers. They're giving him short fields. You know, they're not forcing him to throw 40, 50 times every game. So it's still, it's probably one of the worst places he could have ended up. But, you know, it's not as bad as I thought it was maybe last week looking at this. I don't know that Indianapolis is a ton better because, yes, they have Michael Pittman and a, a highly compensated offensive line, but that offensive line was not good last year. Jonathan Taylor was hurt. So, you know, I, I wish the best for C.J. Stroud. I think that he is going to eventually be a good NFL quarterback. It might take a couple years, though, based on what we see there in Houston right now. You, and you hope they have that patience with him, right? If if there's a scenario where they just recognize at the time. They better. They ain't picking high next year. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, There's going to be some bumps along the road. There just is, right? It's, it's not going to be smooth when you're not on a team that's super talented. The ability for you to make that jump is is few and far between. So I just hope they have some patience with him and can allow him to – grow and develop and it doesn't turn into a scenario where oh it didn't work the first year so we're scrapping this offense and bringing in another one or, and oh man now he's on to his third OC in three years I hope they give this this staff a couple of years to kind of work their magic and see what they can do with it yeah and I think by default they're going to have to sort of do that right because of giving up the draft capital that they did and I don't know their salary cap situation but <clears throat> Just in seeing C.J. Stroud's reaction, though, I, I'm i happy for him. It definitely seemed like uh, a burden was lifted off his shoulders when his name was called. You saw some of the emotion. You saw that he was fired up, you know, walking up to the stage. And, and, and that's kind of cool. That's kind of neat. And I think that people want to see that or have wanted to see that from C.J. Stroud. He's not this – or he hasn't always been this loud, boisterous kind of – outward individual and so I think it was good to see that I think Houston fans should be excited by that and for what it's worth I still think that Houston is getting the most NFL ready quarterback in this draft Um, not entirely a knock against Bryce Young I think that he can be a good quarterback but he's He's just he's a, a complete outlier, right? We haven't seen a guy that small, that slight succeed uh, very often. So I just think CJ Stroud is ready to go. And if they can if John Mechie is what people thought he could be coming out of Alabama, I I do think that sort of changes things because the Dalton Schultz edition, look, I think Dalton Schultz is a little bit overrated. And that's why he settled for sort of a prove-it deal with the Texans. But he was really productive for the Cowboys. And so you put those two pieces together with Damian Pierce, who was a good running back last year. I think there are some pieces there. So um, is there anything I missed on Stroud? Do you, Let me ask you this before we move on. Houston versus Indianapolis, do you think that he, land, he landed in the better situation? Maybe. That's terrible podcast content right there, right? The old, the old maybe. It's a tough question. Yeah. I'm, gl- I'm glad you couldn't react right away. I think it's tough. Yeah, the the Colts, I I think they they have a shot to do something. 
what what's not what we're not going to be able to do is judge it based on how these two scenarios play out. What I will say, because him uh, and Richardson are just so completely different as quarterbacks and so completely different in their evolution as players. Right. He has so much more experience than Anthony Richardson does. So I, I don't know that you can even compare like their careers, at least at the beginning. Obviously, five, six, seven years in, everybody's got to be where they need to be. But that that's tough because both are are have their have their great points. And I do I think part of it is I'm I'm sold on D'Amico Ryan's being a good head coach. I, I just think he's gonna be really good. I think he is gonna be good despite the chaos that is that team and that is was that ownership and has been for the last few years and the decisions they've made in the front office. So I think he's going to will them to be good, and for me, that's kind of the 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 difference differentiator for me in the long run. It to me, I think now I think Houston is going to be set up. I just wish they had more opportunity to surround him with what he needed to, and that part is worrisome because he's we we've seen it time and time again. When you give these guys the weapons, like they were worried about Tua being even a starting quarterback in this league. And when he was healthy last year, he was all pro level because they brought in two receivers that could produce for him. Right now, he can't stay healthy. And I don't think long term that's the answer. But same thing with Burrow. Right. He had a good rookie year. But then you bring in Jamar Chase and all of a sudden he's leading teams to Super Bowls. Right. Not everybody can be Patrick Mahomes and have an okay supporting cast and exceed with it. Not everybody can be Tom Brady. You're talking about two of the best three or four quarterbacks ever. Most guys need weapons. So I'm hoping they have a plan for those weapons. And if they do and it doesn't concern those picks that they gave up, I'm all in. Yeah, I look at the weapons around him. And you're right. That's fair to say that it's – it's difficult to compare because Indianapolis, of course, they're going to try some things with Anthony Richardson that they wouldn't otherwise have tried with C.J. Stroud because, you know, Shane Steichen in Indy, he helped develop Jalen Hurts. Anthony Richardson could be a bigger, stronger, faster, less polished by a mile Jalen Hurts. So I think that's probably a better fit for them, which means by default, C.J. Stroud, in my opinion, landed in the best situation, again, for him. And the offensive coordinator there, too, that D'Amico Ryan's brought with him, Bobby Slowick, worked in San Francisco, worked under Kyle Shanahan. And if you think about what Kyle Shanahan looks for or has typically looked for in a quarterback, it's just a guy to distribute the ball and not screw up. So if that's the same expectation for C.J. Stroud, I, I don't know what his ultimate ceiling may end up being, but... If they ask him to do the same things, we've seen him do that. He's not a turnover-prone guy. He doesn't make a lot of bad decisions. And so it's just, can guys get open? Can they catch the ball? They definitely do not have a number one. They've got a solid tight end uh, and a bunch of probably number three wide receivers, which they'll have to work with. But yeah, that that's the C.J. Stroud spiel, I should say. Um Chuck, what do you say we take a quick break and then we'll come back? And I, th- I think we hit on JSN after this. Sound good? Let's do it. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome back, everybody. Um, hang out in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. We are back with you, talking some 2023 NFL Draft and our Ohio State Buckeyes. We already hit on C.J. Stroud. Let's get to JSN, Chuck. Again, I'll bring up the scenarios from last week. I had Green Bay, the Packers, as my dream scenario. The New England Patriots as my nightmare scenario, which I would probably double and triple down on, seeing their draft. Uh, And my prediction was Houston at number 12. And I think you were on this one as well, Chuck. Correct me if I'm wrong. But... You know, I think JSN fell a little bit further than either of us expected, but he was still wide receiver one. Teams apparently did not value the wide receiver position very much in this draft until the run started, and then you saw those guys go off pretty quickly. I think the first four went in four consecutive picks, if I'm not mistaken. It would have been awesome to see the band back together in Houston, JSN and CJ Stroud, but obviously that wasn't going to be feasible after the trade. So. JSN ends up in Seattle. We've talked. You hate it. I love it. Let's start there, Chuck. Why do you hate JSN as a person, and why do you hate the Seattle Seahawks? <laughs> what did they do to you? Uh, I, I don't hate the Seahawks. Uh, I, I actually respect the job Pete Carroll's done since he's been there. What I struggle with for Jackson Smith and Jigma is – Pete Carroll's never been a sling it around the yard kind of kind of head coach. And now they've got three mouths to feed with Geno Smith, who had a great year last year, but tailed off at the end, has only had one really good year in his career. And now there's three mouths to feed. They also drafted a second running back in the second round. So now they've got two running backs in the last three rounds. Well, yeah, they got Kenny Mack. They got Kenny McIntosh from Georgia in the seventh, which, look, I get it. It's a seventh-round pick. But Kenny McIntosh was super productive and does nothing but catch the ball. So I was just – I was adding on. They got another weapon that I think will actually see the field really early for them. Yeah, so they've got all these guys. And I just don't think they, – they, they just don't sling it around enough for him to end up being uh, the – putting the stats up that his talent would dictate. I think he's going to be super productive for them in a winning role because they're going to have the ability to go three wide at every time. But they just signed DK Metcalf to a big deal. They just re-signed Lockett, I think, two years ago to an extension. He's still got, even after next year, he's got, I think, $15 million left in dead money on his deal. So he's got at least two more years. They're not going to eat that dead money, especially if he's productive just to get Jackson Smith and Jigma on the, on the field. So I hate it. I don't think they're going to fling it around enough. You got to throw for 5,000 yards to make three receivers happy. Look at what, and we, we always come back to the Bengals, but it's what we know. You look at what happened 
when Jamar Chase showed up. Tyler Boyd was a thousand yard receiver, and now he's a 650 yard receiver. And the Bengals throw it on 65% of their th- their uh, plays. They sling it all over, and they can't get three guys fed. So I just don't see that part of it. He is going to a good organization. They're going to have opportunities to win as long as uh, Gino is still the quarterback he was last year. I think they're a playoff team, and he can make a deep run. If Gino's not the guy that he was last year, then it's a, a exponentially worse position because then they don't have a quarterback, and they have three miles to feed with nobody to throw to them. So it's just not good for his stats. If Gino's good, he could still be a really good team and he could have a lot of team success. I just don't see how the individual accolades are going to come from being in Seattle anytime soon. And I find it hard to disagree with any of your points. Um, I think you hit most of those on the head. You're right. They, they're they not going to spread it around enough, in my opinion. Now, look, Gino Smith threw for 4,300 yards last year. That's you know a, a bigger number than I would have guessed looking back on it I guess why I like the fit is because I know that Tyler Lockett has that money and he has money I think guaranteed to him next year but we've seen what NFL teams do with guaranteed money we've seen how much they really care about money and who's making it I think Jackson Smith and Jigba replaces Tyler Lockett pretty soon if I'm being completely honest. So that's why I like the situation because you brought up uh, Tyler Boyd. I kind of see Tyler Lockett becoming Tyler Boyd for the Seahawks. And I'm not saying that Jackson Smith and Jigba then becomes Jamar Chase or T Higgins because he's not that guy. But I think that he becomes their, their number two, their one B pretty quickly because I think that he can work over the middle and do some things that Tyler Lockett can't do because um, you've probably seen like the social media clips. Tyler Lockett doesn't get hit. He refuses to take hits. So he's a little squirrely over the middle. Um, He's probably better on the outside, honestly, than Jackson Smith and Jigba. But I just, I think he's going to see a ton of targets. I think it will be to the detriment of Tyler Lockett, but that's why I like the situation that I think that, the Seahawks are and will continue to be a good team. You know, we saw what they added in the draft this weekend. You can argue with some of their later picks, which as a Kenneth Walker, the third fantasy football owner, I will, and I have, and I will continue to, to argue with some of their later picks. But, um, you know, Tyler Lockett's going to be 31 years old in September. And so I could easily see him fading into the background a little bit. And the other thing is, you know, DK Metcalf is probably going to be the alpha there, but I feel like a lot of times Geno Smith was trying to force it to him, and especially with some of the, the short stuff. And that's just not either one of the well, that's not DK Metcalf's game, in my opinion. And the long, you know, the long ball, the home run ball is not Geno Smith's game, in my opinion. So I think Jackson Smith and Jigba is just going to absorb a lot of those targets underneath. Um, and like I said, just re- do some of the Tyler Lockett stuff at a higher level. Maybe not day one, but by the end of year one, I would not be surprised if Jackson Smith and Jigba is second on this team in receptions. You know, do you think that's a crazy prediction? No, I don't. I don't think that's crazy, but I could also see that being fifty-five catches for eight hundred twenty-five yards. So yeah, real quick, do you know? 
who was third on the Seahawks last year in both, well, in receiving yards? Uh, it was it receiver was position. Was third in- okay, let's go receiver position. That's fair. Receiver yeah, position. It was Marquise Goodwin, and he was under 400 yards. That's, okay. that's scary. Under 400. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, let me pull out my Ohio State uh, math here. That's about 25 yards a game. <laughs> I'm glad you looked it's that not... up while I was stalling, because if you would have asked me, I wouldn't have given you Marquise Goodwin as an answer. Um, I thought he was still an Olympic sprinter. I, I was ready for my argument as to why this was a terrible place for him. And that okay. was the first thing that, that confirmed you. I had confirmation bias. I was looking for why my answer was correct. And that was the first thing I saw. And it, it answered it for me. Even Fant didn't do, what Fant do? 500, 550 yards? About 500, yeah. And, and, yeah, I mean, and, and JSN's not going to run those routes anyway. So that's it's irrelevant that he only had 500 yards on top of it. Yeah, I think the scariest thing for Jackson Smith and Jigba, and I, th- I think he can overcome it, but what is concerning is Geno Smith. Like, you know, he was a bust as a starter, worked hard as a backup, had this great Pro Bowl year. I don't know how repeatable that is. You know, for all involved, I hope it is. I, I enjoyed watching the Seahawks last year, but I, I'm dubious to say the least. So let's move on to the third Bengals or third Buckeyes. I'm sorry, first rounder and, and their last pick for a while, certainly Paris Johnson Jr. So we both liked Tennessee. We thought the, the Mike Vrabel ties, the fact that they needed to replace Taylor Lewan might be alluring to them. But then we also heard that Arizona kind of fell in love with this guy and we're considering him at number three. Instead, they make the multiple trades, end up with him at number six. This is not much higher than he was projected to go a week ago or a month ago. I think it's a good spot for him. Lots of mocks had him in the nine to 15 range. So good on Paris Johnson Jr. I think he's incredibly smart. He's a hard worker. He's versatile. So I believe that he can ultimately find success, hopefully sooner rather than later. My only concern with him, six is extremely high for an offensive tackle. If a guy's going sixth overall, that team is expecting Lane Johnson sort of production, right? Like they are expecting or they're hoping for a perennial pro bowler. And maybe Paris Johnson Jr. becomes that. But at the same time, he only started outside for 13 games. He was a guard for Ohio State two years ago. Flashed really well as a left tackle. Obviously, that's why he's going number six overall. But he is relatively inexperienced at that position. I think that he has some things to fine-tune and work on. So that's my only concern for him. But like I said, his level of intelligence, the work that he puts into it, I think that he can overcome any of you know his sort of current faults learn what he needs to, and I'll say this. I don't know what his ceiling is. I would be shocked, absolutely shocked, if Paris Johnson Jr. turns out to be a bust. How about you, Chuck? I want to give you five names, and I want you to tell me uh, what these these five people have in common. Kelvin Beecham, Will Hernandez, Elijah Wilkinson, DJ Humphreys, and I apologize to this young man, uh, Hijate Froholt, 
Can you so, tell me what who, who those five guys are? Only because I recognize three of them. They are the car, the current Cardinals offensive line. Are they not? They are. And, and you know what I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt right now? Paris Johnson Jr. is better than all five of them. Walking yes. in the door. Yes. Calvin Beecham was a turnstile 10 years ago. <laughs> I don't know if it was 10, but I remember him in Pittsburgh. I remember that much. Yeah, he's been, he's been a turnstile since he walked into the NFL. And they just, uh, it's crazy. Will Hernandez is on his second or third team. I literally have never heard of this center in my life. I, I have no idea who this guy is. And he was a fourth rounder in 2019, uh, apparently. And DJ Humphreys is on his second team. He's been kind of good when he's not 40 pounds overweight. But Paris Johnson's going to go in here and be the best lineman by midseason. And it's not even going to be close. The challenge is going to be this team is going to be bad because they're all defense is terrible. Like their defense is just awful. And I think if they, they can convince Hopkins to play and not be a, a distraction, their offense will be okay. If Kyler stays healthy, another thing that that's a big thing, but Harris Johnson can help that. But this defense, I I'm not even going to read these guys names off to you because I only, I literally only recognize three of them. Like it's awful. This team is going to give up 35 points a game. So him being great is actually going to get overshadowed because everybody's just going to talk about how they lost 38 to 32 again. Yeah, they're a really bad team. I think that, you know, I would not be surprised if Paris Johnson Jr. is teammates with either Caleb Williams or Marvin Harrison Jr. next year. Like, I think they are going to be in the running for top overall pick next year. And I that's why I think when we talked about Paris Johnson Jr., and I don't know if it was in, I think it was actually in reference to the Titans, but I was like, look, this team that he's going to go to, when I thought it was the Titans, I was like, they're not going to win a Super Bowl. They're lacking weapons. They're lacking difference makers. So just go and find a guy who you think can maybe be a starter and be a stud for you for a decade and then figure out the other parts next year in the draft or when you have money in free agency. All of that plus some for the Cardinals. So I don't think this is a bad landing spot. Um, if Kyler Murray is healthy, I think that Paris Johnson will be credited with some sacks that he does not otherwise deserve because Kyler Murray's pocket presence is awful, in my opinion. But ultimately, I think the Cardinals got a, a good one here. I think he's going to be their left tackle of the future. I really do. And he may have to suffer through some losing but you're talking about a team that has their own pick and the Houston Texans pick in the first round next year plus whatever else like they're going to be in a really good spot next year and so then I think that Paris Johnson Jr. will reap the benefits of you know playing out there in the desert but as an aside the DeAndre Hopkins thing like yeah you're an awful team I would eat as much money as the other team wants me to eat to get the highest future draft pick I could get. You want me to eat 16 out of 20 million so I can get a second round pick? Sure. I don't care because we're a bad football team. You know, they've got what? Hollywood Brown. They've got some running backs. Uh, James Conner's been beaten up quite a bit. I think they still have Zach Ertz. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's neither here nor there. Paris Johnson Jr. helps, but that's not their problem. Paris Johnson's got another issue. 
I'm concerned for his his health because I feel like that there's a a a higher risk for concussions playing for the Cardinals because he's six six. And can you imagine how many passes Kyler Murray is just going to drill right into the back of his head because he can't get it up over him? <laughs> right in the back of the head, trying to uh, dump one off. three One of his patented three-yard outs thrown like a 98-mile-an-hour fastball, right? The Kyler Murray special. I feel bad for him. Those are going to hurt, and that's going to happen three or four times a game. He's going to need – they're going to have to talk to Rydell about getting him a special helmet so that Kyler doesn't – ruin his career in two years with concussions <laughs> you're right but you know ultimately all three of those guys I think are going to play a large role and you know talking about the first three Buckeyes that we've hit on thus far CJ Stroud obviously will play a big role I I don't see how Davis I would give Davis Mills a one percent chance of winning that starting job Jackson Smith and Jig was going to be on the field a ton and Paris Johnson Jr. I, I think is your starting left tackle day one because what do you have to lose? So those were the air quotes, big Buckeye targets. All three went in the first round. Chuck, let's run through the other ones sort of quickly here. Zach Harrison at 75 to the Falcons feels about right. And if you watch the broadcast, all the guys, you know, working for ESPN, ABC, whatever, they're like, He's got the size, he's got the intelligence, he's got the wingspan, the long arms, the pedigree. Could never put it together. And preach into the choir. Because you and I are the choir, Buckeye fans are the choir. Good kid, great character for Zach Harrison. I hope he puts it, you know, figures something out in Atlanta because I do think that he could contribute if he somehow sharpens those pass rushing skills, comes up with a better plan and maybe use those long arms to get around some guys. Unless you have anything to add for Zach Harrison, I do want to talk about the Browns. Yeah, my I guess my – and this isn't about Zach Harrison. This is kind of about the broadcast. Multiple guys brought up that they were hoping he would get coached up in the NFL. And to me, I'm just screaming at my TV, like, what, what do you think was happening at Ohio State? Like, Ohio State has one of the best defensive line coaches in – the world like what do you think Jack Harrison was just hanging out during practice and Larry Johnson was just like ah go get him kid I I like what what come on guys like this isn't uh this isn't Alabama A&M uh upstate like you know who's here this is a big program you know who coaches this guy this is the same coach you were praising when Chase Young went number two like give me a break the the guys who do the draft, I mean, they know more football than we'll ever, you know, they've forgotten more football than we'll ever know. And they are very prepared. But yeah, you hear things like that. There was a guy, I, I wish I could think of who it was. They were like, oh, you know, not highly recruited. And this guy was legitimately like a top 20 national recruit. Um, I, I wish I had who it was on top of my mind, but Moving past or beyond Zach Harrison, Dewan Jones and Luke Whipler staying in the state of Ohio, provided they make a team uh, in Cleveland, both taken by the Cleveland Browns. Dewan Jones fell all the way to round four, pick number 111. We covered this. We had heard that he might be a late first rounder, but then as you know, I was watching more of the draft coverage, reading as much as I could. Basically, it sounds like what happened with Dewan Jones is he completed the season. 
He went to the Senior Bowl, had a great day or two, packed it in, put on 20 pounds, didn't work out for teams, and did not nail the interview process. Now, that is all based on rumor. Okay, I know nothing about what has gone on since the end of the season and the draft. But we talk about these guys getting good advice versus bad advice. I think Dewan Jones, Dewan Jones should have left because what he should have been was this behemoth, you know, athletic right tackle. But if he mailed in the process and he's tipping the scales at near 400 pounds, then you can't really feel bad for the guy because that's on him. That's not on anybody advising him. I, I, I think he had a bit of a knee issue, but still, like there are other people who had injury issues. There are other people who have trouble keeping weight on, keeping weight off, this, that, and the other. It sounds like Dewan Jones really sort of mailed in this draft process or just flat out failed it. Again, all based on rumor, but a tough fall for Dewan Jones nonetheless. Yeah, that's a struggle. And I, I know the one guy that was reporting it, it was about Dewan Jones and, and Ringo from Georgia was Albert Breer. And to me, he doesn't he's not one of these guys that's going out and, and spreading stuff just to get clicks. Like he, he loves a, his buckeyes. He he is a buckeye. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He wouldn't he's not looking for uh, that that hot take he's going based on what he hears he has a very good set of sources and I so to me that kind of lends some credence to what they're saying it's unfortunate for for Dewan Jones that it happened that way I hope it's a wake-up call for him him and Whipler uh, barring injuries and, and we can kind of put him in because they're both the Browns. Like they went into an absolute terrible situation because both of them are now behind guys that are on long-term deals. And I know NFL deals are not really long-term deals, but when the Browns gave Jack Conklin $31 million fully guaranteed, that means he's going to be around for two years. Like, He's not going anywhere. Now, after two years, it may be a conversation. And the same thing with the center. Their their center, uh, Ethan Post, is it Pozik? He Yeah, former Seahawk, I think. Yeah, he just re-signed for three years. So they have guys locked into these spots, unfortunately, for for the Buckeyes coming in. They're going to be uh, a backup. And that's to me that that's unfortunate. I think both of them had the opportunity. Whipler, it sounds like more with staying another year and Dwan Jones more as if he he handled the process a little bit better. They could have probably been put in a better situation and, and had a better chance to succeed going forward. Completely, completely off topic. And I had no idea of this. Did you know Tyrone Wheatley Jr. is an offensive tackle for the Browns? I did not. I know that the Browns also signed a bunch of other Buckeyes in uh, as undrafted free agents, but a lot of connections there from the rivalry. The, the thing with Luke Whipler is, you know, whether he's being advised poorly or not, he does not play or he doesn't play a luxury position. He was a fringe top five center, right? So. His ceiling was not, not that high to begin with. So my big question is, what's the rush? Like, in it's easy for you and I to sit here and say that and be like, why not just go back to school where 
Maybe you can find some sort of NIL deal as a center and make 50000 I don't know, whatever the number is. But, you know, again, the ceiling wasn't that high unless you were the elite of the elite. Uh, the kid from Wisconsin, I think, went fairly early. John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota, he was a center. He went in the second round to the Giants. Those were the elite centers in this draft. Tyler Linderbaum was a first rounder. He is few and far between. So the tumble, if you want to consider it that for Luke Whipler was not all that surprising. You look at those same guys I just mentioned, they're 6'4", 6'5", 325, like big behemoth dudes who are also agile and smart enough to play center. Not that Luke Whipler is not big, athletic, and intelligent. He is, but he's not in that same sort of, uh, mold as those other guys so it is unfortunate for him as an Ohio State fan I wish he could just opt out and come back to Ohio State because we'd love to have him but that's the risk you take and we'll just hit on a couple of the other guys because we're talking Browns Tanner McAllister Ronnie Hickman also Cleveland Browns or they will at least be invited to mini camp rookie camp whatever it is both signed there as undrafted free agents Ronnie Hickman, another guy who left school early. And the thing with Ronnie Hickman, like he announced he was leaving early. Like it was 12 seconds after the Georgia game. He was like, yep, this was my... He may have even talked about it in the lead up to the game. He let his intentions be known. And then NFL teams let it be known what they thought of his last year at Ohio State, which was not good. So another surprising and unfortunate sort of... I know you got to call it a mistake at this point, right, Chuck? Like, could have come back, could have competed, maybe built on his 2021 season that was pretty good. He had 100 plus tackles. Now he's going to go fight for a roster spot in Cleveland. Big time backfire, right? Yeah, anytime that happens. But what, in reality, what was he going to get out of another year? He didn't have a good year in this in this defense. I'm guessing that part of the reason he didn't have a good year in this defense was because he doesn't fit his, the way he plays safety doesn't fit with the way that Jim Knowles wants him to play safety. And I'm sure the idea of transferring to another school and risking it and maybe making, like you said, same things, a few NIL bucks would be fine, but it's, at some point you got to rip the bandaid off. So for him, it's a, for him, him, it's a little than it is for for Whipler because I, I just don't know that he had that future here even if he stayed whereas if Whipler stays he's got a chance to go be first team all Big Ten first team all American go make a run at a Remington award and be a second or third round pick if he came back and improved on the season he had this year yeah all very fair um, I don't know if it was you and I or Gene and I on a, a older podcast, but we, we lit up Hickman pretty good. He did not have a good year. So you're right though. Maybe he just was ready to move on. I don't know if he was a graduate, if transferring was an option for him or, um, he just wanted to call it what it was and move on. So tough break for him. The other undrafted free agents thus far from Ohio State, Jerron Cage has apparently signed a deal with the New Orleans Saints. And Cam Brown, cornerback Cam Brown, signed a deal with the Los Angeles Chargers. So 
Those are your 10. Yeah. 10 Ohio State, former Ohio State players who have either drafted or signed with another team. Uh, Teron Vincent is out there. Pilot EA Niote Niote is still out there. I just wanted to say his name because I think I nailed it. And I don't think I'm missing any. Noah Ruggles, I guess, if you want to throw him out there. Um, like the dude, his his last football memory may not be a good one. We shall see. But all in all, like they had the three top 20 picks and they had a good draft last year. Chuck, I do not think that this was a a banner draft for Ohio State. What say you? No, but that that's saying something, right? That they had six guys drafted, they had four, three guys drafted in the top twenty. We're like, eh, this is this is this is fine. This isn't anything crazy. What I'm excited for, and I think this is the next pod, is we're going to start talking about 2024 draft and where we think Buckeyes are going to end up. Because I'm ready. I've got my list. Marvin Harrison Jr., number one. Tommy Eichenberg, number two overall. Uh, Kyle McCord, number three overall. Yeah, i just taking down some notes. I'm 22 Buckeyes deep. This is going to be the draft of all drafts for the Buckeyes. No word yet if they're going to set a record with 14 first-round picks. But my first mock is going to have 14 Buckeyes going in the first round. Yeah, I do think it'll get better. It really comes down to the defensive side of the ball. Ohio State has struggled to develop guys the way that we are accustomed to and you know the way that we've sort of gotten used to here as Ohio State fans. So I do believe they are going to rebound. You know, JT Tumaloal, Jack Sawyer, Tommy Eichenberg, Steel Chambers, Denzel Burke, maybe like there's going to be lots of guys that we right now believe have a lot of potential and could be first round picks down the road. So that pretty much wraps up our draft talk. We will, we'll sprinkle in a couple of notes here because Chuck and I don't want to hit you with a a two hour pod in May, but the Buckeyes did add a trio actually of new players this weekend. So Chuck, I, I think we'd be remiss if we did not talk about that. We are recording on Sunday. Just today, they landed a commitment from San Diego State offensive or former San Diego State offensive tackle Josh Simmons. And yesterday, they secured the commitment of Lorenzo Styles, aka brother of Sonny Styles. He was a wide receiver for Notre Dame. He is apparently transitioning to defensive back. And also yesterday, RB3, uh, third running back in this class for Ohio State, which I think is a good number for them, what they wanted. Jordan Lyles, St. Thomas Aquinas kid, or Aquinas kid out of Florida, keeps that pipeline open and uh, and going on. Chuck, hit me real quick. What are your thoughts with these weekend additions? I love the fact that they got a third running back. I think they're protecting themselves. Ultimately, I'm guessing only two of them end up on the roster and and all three don't sign. At some point, they're going to kind of figure it out. But I love that they're they're not settling on their laurels with these two guys that they had verbally committed previously. So I'm excited about that. Tony Alford reclamation tour is in full effect. I'm here for it. Even though I've been a critic, I am here for him. If he's ready to reclaim his throne as the best running back coach and best running back recruiter in the nation, I'm all for it. 
uh, any time. Wait a minute. How how long and when was it claimed the first time? You said reclaimed. Oh, I, you could make an argument back with, uh, I mean, could you make an argument with J.K. Dobbins that he was the best running back recruiter and coach in the country? Could you make I, that I, argument? I, I would still name say. Another, name another running back coach that's really good. Name one. I can't name another running back coach. I don't care to know their <laughs> names, but I, I would say Bama had a better run at their height. But no, like that's, I, I'm, I'm not here to knock on Tony Alford. I think that. He's had some lean years, but he has offset those lean years by developing guys. You know, Mayan Williams was not supposed to be Mayan Williams. Um, so he has continued to perform and excel. I know we've we've had some, uh, you know, some rough things to say about him on occasion, but he did need to rebound. It looks as if he's done that. And, you know, Chuck, I didn't want to interrupt, but the thing with Jordan Lyle and the kid that's going to be going to Pickerington, Sam Williams-Dixon, he, they both, from what I've read thus far, you know, I'm not, I haven't been in the weeds on either one of these guys. They offer a different sort of skill set. I heard Jordan Lyle comped to Curtis Samuel. And if you're willing to give me anyone who even resembles Curtis Samuel, granted, I know this is a different offense, but I, I will sign up for that 11 times out of 10. So maybe they do all stick around because they are different running backs. But yeah, I think three is a good number. I'm with you there. Now, for the other guys, to me, and, and I know you and I disagree on this, to me, Josh Simmons is fine, and I think he's he's a, a chance to be a good player. I don't see him being the solution at right tackle. We still don't have the solution at right tackle, in my opinion, and I, I, I'm worried that we don't have one on the roster. So he's a good pickup. I think he can – Coming into the Ohio State system, he can be somebody that can learn. He's got a chance to make the two deep, but I wouldn't be shocked if he doesn't make the two deep. So what I've seen basically is he started eight hundred. He played eight hundred snaps last year. He was a starter for all thirteen games for the Aztecs at right tackle. Now PFM graded him in the forties as a run blocker and in the low to mid sixties. Hot take. Hot take. That's not good. <laughs> I will okay we will put that hopefully that one doesn't come back to bite you um but no you're right that's not a good grade 60 65 whatever as a, as a pass blocker but we've seen with these PFF grades like we all read them and put stock in them but they are not always reflective of the entire truth and the thing I'll say with him is Josh Simmons was a four-star recruit. I think he was like top 325, right around that 300 neighborhood. So not a blue chipper, but he had a ton of offers. And he redshirted a year. And then as a redshirt freshman, started from A, you know, a to Z, day one to the end of the season, never got pulled from the lineup. And this offseason, he had visits planned with Florida and Colorado and I think he had talked with Texas A&M. So there have been and there were schools looking into his services. And we don't know the level of coaching he got at San Diego State. Like, I'm not saying that he's going to come here and Justin Fry is going to whip him into shape. But I, I, you've seen Ohio State doesn't try to bring in 
a dozen transfers. They try and plug or bring guys in where they absolutely need them. We think Davison Igmanosin is going to be a starter. We think Jihad Carter, if he's healthy, might be a starter. Um, the center, Vic Cutler, that was strictly a depth piece, but like they're bringing players in that they hope can play a big role for them. And so I don't think they went out and they looked at Josh Simmons for a depth piece. I could be wrong, but the right tackles did not look good in a spring game. And I don't think they've looked that great in practice. And Justin Fry recruited this kid when he was still at UCLA. So I think he's liked him for a long time. And if he's a better coach than anything San Diego State's got, which I know Brady Hoke is their head coach. I don't know what that says about the rest of their staff. But I don't know. Maybe he's a diamond in the rough. Maybe I'm being too optimistic. What do you think? For you to say the right tackles probably haven't practiced well is is got to be an understatement because they wouldn't bring this guy in if they were right. If these two guys that they had com- coming in and competing, if they were the answer, this guy wouldn't be coming in because the schools you named off would die for an eight and five season next year. And if eight and five is what happens in Columbus, oh, daddy, you better hold the hell on because it's going to get crazy. Like those are all below 500 teams that are trying to rebuild rosters. So for that, for Ohio state to be competing against those kind of schools for him tells me that they have a huge concern about right tackle. And they're literally trying to get anybody that is uh, division one, a worthy to come play here. And they should be concerned because they recruited like shit for three, four five years under Craig Stodrawa Hopefully that recruiting edge and that ability to bring in some blue chippers comes back. But, you know, they got Paris Johnson Jr. He's an Ohio kid. They developed Dewan Jones. He was not a five-star. They got Donovan Jackson on the inside. But tackle's been rough. And so I think that this Josh Simmons can come in and compete and maybe land a starting gig right away. Um, and then Lorenzo Styles. We didn't hit on him yet. Look, I vaguely remember him being a really exciting player at Pickerington. You know, I'm here in Columbus, Ohio. Chuck's a Columbus guy. We're in Columbus. So he's a local kid. I, he went to Notre Dame as a wide receiver, but I he did play defensive back at Pickerington. I think he was a really good return man at Pickerington for whatever that's worth in high school, right? It's it's very different, the, the punting and the special teams game in high school. But I, I don't really have a read. On the Lorenzo Styles move, I'm happy to have him. I think it's going to be good for Sonny Styles. And this move to defense was already in the works, I think, before he announced his intent to transfer. So if he can recapture some of the old magic, then maybe he's got a role here. Ultimately, because he is changing positions and changing schools, like, I, it's probably... 50-50 odds, he he redshirts. What do you think, Chuck? Do you think we could see Lorenzo Styles come here, buy his time, get accustomed to the position and his new school before we ever see him on, on the field? Yeah, I think that's a possibility. It's going to take some time, but what I think this all, they're looking at this, you know, with the, rec- with the transfer porter anymore, if you can get a guy that you think is going to hang around for two or three years... Like, that's a worthy get, right? And he's got eligibility left. So if you think you can come in, he can come in here, he can learn. And you know what? 
if at the end of the, what's great is with this four game thing with the four game red shirt, if he goes six or seven, eight, nine games, it hasn't done anything. But then the light, like the light bulb comes on and he's ready to go play at Ohio State's level of DB. He could still play at the end of the year and he can be productive there. So I like the move uh, at, at worst case scenario. He's Sonny Styles insurance. Having the family together is a great thing. So I, I'm all for it. I think he'll be productive in the future. He's obviously got the athletic ability to do it. And I don't think this isn't a spot where they need bodies. Like the the defensive, like safety. He's got to be a safety, right? He's 6'1", 190. You don't think he's going to be a corner, do you? No, well... I, I think that he thought he could or would be a corner. I imagine that's maybe what he played in high school. But you're right. Like, that's that's good size. That's 6'2". If he puts on 10, 15 pounds, that would be a really, really, really big corner. So I'm with you. I think ultimately he's probably better suited for safety. And, like, he's not some schmuck. He's not a throw-in. He was, like, a top 115 recruit out of high school like he was a good player and he obviously played both ways so yeah if he comes here he learns the playbook he learns the position most importantly and puts on a couple of pounds then yeah maybe we've got the brother styles playing safety in a year or two which would just be bananas like i can't recall a couple of brothers playing the same position at ohio state you know you've had family members and brothers playing different positions or different sides of the ball but that would be something wild, but it's worth a move and it's worth bringing him in because like I said, you know, he did some things at Notre Dame. Even if he wanted to stick around ultimately at wide receiver, he's a depth piece there. Like he's not some kid that just couldn't cut it and is now coming to a bigger, better team in school. Like that's not how things work. So a welcome addition at the very least. And I like what you said about the, the sunny styles insurance. It's, it's for both of them, right? It's a good thing for both of them because when you're in a position battle and, you know, things can get rough. And with the transfer portal and this, that, and the other, um, getting the band and the family back together, I think is ultimately good to do. Yeah, I think ultimately it's it's a good pickup. You know, he he's one of 85. He obviously has something. And with that room being pretty full, like it's they didn't bring him in because they thought he was just a body. Like I said earlier, like he's somebody that they think can be productive in the future. And that to me is is worth let's seeing what happens. You know, he he can come in here. He can eventually play. And if we have styles and styles in the backfield, even though how much do you think Lorenzo hates that his little brother is four inches taller and like 30 pounds heavier. Doesn't he, I mean, that's just got to piss him off, right? Like what, what were you doing mom and dad? Why did he get all the genetics and I didn't get them? Yeah, you're right. Ohio state's above the scholarship limit. They're not going to bring a guy in to go further above the scholarship limit. If they don't think that he can contribute down the line. So I think he's here. I think he's the real deal. This is not a Antetokounmpo situation where the bucks are bringing in, all of his brothers, you know, to just be the 12th man on the That's not what it is. So, um, but I think that's pretty much going to wrap it up for this week's episode. You know, we're, we're 67 minutes, 60, 70 minutes in. We don't want to overwhelm you guys with too much. Um, but this was a fun one. I, I think I'm, 
Really excited to see what eventually happens down the road for these Buckeyes who were drafted and obviously excited to see what happens with these future Buckeyes down the road that have committed to. So, so um, before we let these folks out of here, Chuck, what's our, what are we sort of thinking for next week? Let's, let's give them a little taste. Oh, so we're not doing 2024 drafts. So what, what did I do all this research for? No, I, I think that's a good idea. I think that we're going to have to hit on our fantasy football stuff sooner than later, but we've probably got a month for that. So I like the 2024 draft idea. We've got a week to decide. So until then, um, those of you listening, like, rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. Hit us up on social media. We're trying to be more active on, uh, definitely on Twitter right now, and, and try and do all those good things to those good fun things to interact. So um, until next week and a potential draft preview for Chuck Holmes, I am Josh Dooley, and as always. Go-